1: Once upon a time
3: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Miami Nice. I am one half of your undercover partnership, Blake Howard. Today, Katie and I are not in the club. Jay-Z and Lincoln Park are not playing. We're not ordering mojitos and inquiring about the skin complexion of attractive waiters and waitresses. Today, we're in Los Angeles. We're bumping into a kind of scruffy-haired Jason Statham. We're jumping into a cab and we're driving around this glorious sprawling city where people can die on the train and be left there for many hours by themselves, undisturbed by fellow commuters. And today we're talking to, I don't know, you may have heard of her. She's written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Variety. She has an amazing podcast of like 20 amazing podcasts that she's ever done, but she's got the Unspooled podcast. She's got my personal favorite, her Halloween Unmask, and introducing uh, Quentin Tarantino's feature presentation podcast, which is amazing about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She literally wrote the freaking book on Tom Cruise for Cahiers to Cinema. Amy Nicholson, welcome to our very first digression. Formally onto collateral collateral confessions. It is an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here.
4: Wow, I feel like I just attended my own wake. Thank you
3: for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's on brand. We we try and eulogize out I guess before we talk is- to them
0: isn't that what you're supposed to do like everyone's like oh i wish i could like hear all the nice things people said to me said about me at my funeral so we
4: try to get ahead of that yeah (laughs) i appreciate that thank you i could die at any minute now i'm ready yes
0: well we're in the collateral confession booth
3: yes and
0: which is the taxi cab the taxi cab (laughs) confessions (laughs) uh great hbo show uh from back in the day but Amy, I was reading an article about, or I was reading an interview that Sam Fergoso did with you when your Tom Cruise book came out, Anatomy of an Actor, Tom Cruise, which is why we're talking to you today. And he asked why you didn't include Collateral, and you said you didn't <laughs> like it.
4: That's true. Oh my gosh! Yeah. But you watched it last night. You know, I, I yes, I, I think. I don't like Collateral as a Tom Cruise performance. I think no. I like I like Collateral okay as a film, but as as a standout Tom Cruise performance, it is so overblown. I've always felt as like the movie where Tom Cruise turned into a villain, the movie where you see like Mr. Top Gun play evil. And as, you know, the foremost Tom, Tom Cruise scholar on the planet, I was like, you guys didn't see TAPS? You guys didn't see his cameo, his very first speaking role ever in Endless Love, where he's a pyromaniac who encourages a guy to burn <laughs> on his girlfriend's house. You missed all of these Tom Cruises. He's been a bad guy the whole time. He's a bad guy in Cocktail. He's never a good guy, rarely. You know, the good guy parts are, are tied, I would say, with the bad guy parts. So whenever people would talk about Collateral, and yeah, exactly.
3: Magnolia, he's a bad guy. He's not, a, a, gra- be- he's not a great He's guy in the movie.
4: <laughs> No, he's always like, "Look at me, I'm awful," and we're like, "We love you, Tom Cruise. You're the greatest." <laughs> yes. <girl." laughs> and and so I, yeah. So yeah, I got yelled at a lot for not including collateral, but that was one of my key arguments. That's a good argument. I would say that's a good argument. I would also say he's kind of a villain
0: in Top Gun too. Even though I love him so much, like I love Maverick so much, but I made this argument to I can't remember to who, but like we like, like goose is such an important character in top gun because he likes maverick and we like goose so much that we need goose as like the person that the audience can hold on to to be like it's okay to like maverick (laughs) because otherwise he's kind of a dick
3: that's katie's role on this show (laughs) it's (laughs) it's like if katie likes him he might not be a dick it's fine no
4: that's your role (laughs) but you're exactly right like top gun is a movie where you know val kilmer iceman is like you're gonna get us killed you're very dangerous and he's like don't care and we're like <laughs> yeah that iceman he sucks like what it is but i think the movie itself knows that maverick is crazy there's just yeah. some weird magnetic pull that tom cruise has where we're like we we everything he says is probably great
3: yes
0: he's
4: dripping in charisma
0: it just drips off of him in a way that is frankly <laughs> disturbing
3: it's 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 <laughs> It's one of my favorite lines in the latest Mission Impossible Fallout when he goes, I'm going to go get, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get the detonator. I'm going to get the detonator. And they go, how's he going to do it? And, and Benji goes, I find it best not to look. And that's when he runs and jumps on that freaking, uh, 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 like whatever it is, the. It's like the giant ball of stuff that's on the bottom of the helicopter and he runs and jumps on it and it takes off off the ground with him going up into the (laughs) air and i'm just like yeah this guy's a lunatic but he's doing (laughs) it for us it's the best it's the best he
4: is i mean i really think if you take a step back and look at his career like as a huge arc you know a huge body of work what you see is his insistence that we shouldn't love him and what his characters do as much as we do and our continual refusal to admit it like from you know even Top Gun like Top Gun he thought was a movie about a complicated guy with daddy issues who is not the greatest pilot in the world but has like an egomaniac you know tendency to him and a softer side you know he's complicated but when that movie comes out and it like overnight becomes this huge you know Military recruitment tool like in a way that he wasn't expecting in a way that caught him off guard where he was like I'm not a military guy like I don't think like I should be making a movie that gets all these people to sign up for the military What does he do? He like does born on the 4th of July like right afterwards and he's like no war will kill you Please don't do this. Please don't follow me like don't do this and yeah you're exactly right Top Gun 2 That's sort of like it's like yeah if you play out who Maverick is he winds up like kind of bottoming out It's not gonna work out for him he doesn't play the game right but we never pay attention <laughs> but
3: he does but he but he does get Jennifer Connelly at the end and like how how, how how if anyone's like oh my life didn't go how I planned you know I just hooked up with Jennifer Connelly and you know,
1: I'd just be like you I hate you like what are you talking about this is the best
3: life ever you got a little hanger there your own plane flying around um yeah. it so is not too bad things work out for Mav <laughs> things work out for Mav that
0: as, I don't as know well if you, as they
3: should as well yeah yeah exactly as well as they should i think that that's what the movie gets so beautifully so like you let's let's talk about the things that maybe you do like because i know that sometimes the aura of certain movies people freak out we talk about it on this show very specifically for something like black hat because there is a new you know while Katie and I can appreciate it and like it, we know there's gradients of the Michael Mann oeuvre. We obviously love Miami Vice like unabashedly and have kind of come to think of it as this massive tone poem, contemporary masterpiece from him. But some like, there is, we, we call them like the kids, the Michael Mann like Twitter kids are like, guys, Black Hat's his best film. And we're like, really? You need to lay down, okay? Just stop. <laughs> and I feel like that when I when I'm hearing you about the Tom Cruise of it all, as a Tom Cruise scholar, I think you're like, That might just be your reaction because people are like, no, it's the only movie. And I'm like, it's not. He he wasn't just good in collateral, guys. Relax. It's, you know, we can even comfortably say that. But I'd love to hear what you think about. I, I actually think it's not the evil that cracks me up in this movie and I enjoy. It's when Jamie Foxx is telling him about his plans and Tom Cruise has like this amazing ability, disarming quality of like, oh, I really want to know about you. And that's what people say about him as a real life character. And I loved that in this where he's like, I'm genuinely interested in you. Please tell me about your career. And he feels like he does that. It's not the awesome, yo homie, where's my brief, is that my briefcase? It's, I love the like, Tom Cruise having genuine conversations with people and then killing him. That's my yes. favorite balance <laughs> yes. of this movie. So I wanted to talk to you about that because that's he he's so famous for it. People say it's amazing disarming quality. And he looks at you and he's so intense and he wants to know everything about you. And I think he finds that in his performances as well. But I, that's what I really got last night I was watching. I was like, man, he's just so interested in everyone. And then he kills them. <laughs> it's like <great>. Barry
0: Shabaka <laughs> Henley.
3: The Barry Shabaka Henley scene killed like oh my I god
0: know, I know it's brutal, Devast, brutal
3: I know. devastating
2: I got drafted and went to some other things and uh, by the time I got back to music the uh, season had passed did you know I was born in 1945 but that night was the moment of my conception right here in this room
1: cries not here now yeah, no, lounge well, jazz
2: ain't the draw that it used to be
1: What a great story. Mm. I gotta tell the people in Kulakan and Cartagena that story. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.
2: when I thought you were a cool guy. I'm a cool guy. Good job I contracted to do. Come on, visit. Give the dude a pass. I'm working here. listen. You don't want to sit up here talking about improvisation and everything like that. You like the guy. You like how he plays. Let's let's just play a little jazz. Come on.
1: Improvise? That's funny coming from you. (laughs) How's this?
2: I'll ask a question. What question? Jazz question. You get it right. We roll. You disappear tonight. If I walk out of here tonight, I will go so far away to be just like I was dead. And one more thing these people in their rep here, Felix, well, you tell them I'm sorry. You tell them I had to. They laid a grant of immunity on me. I was compelled. It was either play ball or go back inside, and I'm not. Oh, yeah. Lay it on me. Where did Miles learn music? I know everything there is to know about Miles. And let's have it.
1: Music school. He got it
2: at music school, right? His father was a dentist. He's St. Louis. Invested in agriculture, made plenty of money. He sent Miles to Juilliard School of Music, New York.
1: 1945. Yeah. <laughs> Tripped out of Juilliard after listening than a year, tracked down Charlie Parker on 52nd Street, who mentored him for the next three years.
4: I think you're zeroing on in on what I would say is really the only interesting thing about the villain that he's playing is, like, his active listening ability. Like, he oh. actually, you know, because we have, like, quippy villains and funny villains and damaged villains and all sorts of ranges of villains on the planet. But it's rare to see a villain who is, like, engaged in you. like Like, he's on a first date with you the whole time that he's hanging <laughs> out and that you see in his face he absorbs information. You know, he notes things, he takes it in and, and he is at least present in his life. I think that's the only notable thing about what I find to be kind of like an insanely written character who doesn't make any sense to me, honestly. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think I think, I think, think, Cruz is not able to make a very weirdly written villain feel at all like a human being in the way that Jamie Foxx does. I think this, this character is kind of ridiculous, right? Just, can we be honest about that?
3: <laughs> well, we, we, we can say that for here once and for all, you're the Tom Cruise scholar. I just want to say, do you think like Bill Ibiri that his name is Vincent Collateral? Like, uh, like I, <laughs> I was I... just
0: thinking about Vincent Collateral.
3: <laughs> I'm like, if we if we agree that he's a patently ridiculous character, I think today we can say, finally, with the expert that his name is actually Vincent Collateral. This is about him.
4: I mean print the legend.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Um yeah, he's a he's a weird amount like um you can kind of see the tension between Aussie Stewart Beatty's original script, you know, a more conventional thing. And then what Michael Mann and Tom Cruise want to overlay on the character. So sometimes I feel like he's a bit of a bundle, a bit of a weird thing, but I think they kind of, they kind of do that thing where they're like, he's adaptable. He has that little monologue, eaching, you know, those things like when he does that, I think that so that they kind of, I think they kind of know that if you just added every segment of Vincent, Together in this movie, it would kind of be weird, but they have to find ways into how that works. And I think that part of that thing is even just the active listening from the first part. He's like, How long does it take to get to this place? Seven minutes. He's like, Seven minutes. Not six, not eight, seven. Like just that, like just weird stuff as he's starting to accumulate information along the way. I think it's like, they're kind of always preparing you that this guy is just gonna he's, he's unpredictable he's gonna do anything and they kind of make the rule for themselves that he's gonna do anything but if you mapped it out and you broke him down you're like he's a weird guy yeah absolutely he's weird he's got weird gray hair he's wearing a suit that michael mann <laughs> says was tailored in asia he came into lax in the morning we kind of think he might have been a bay area killer from mark ruffalo's character like the cabbie who killed three people and then shot himself and didn't have a criminal background and all those things so yeah he's a he's a weird one and then the end this is what i have to confess it took me a while to get over the ending i wanted vincent to kill jamie fox like in in not not in the not wanted but i always felt like how did vincent not kill jamie fox how did mm, he not kill him like in the in the shootout in the shootouts i just always felt like it was a tough hang and like i guess that was the whole like the whole thesis of the movie it's the unpredictability like he's prepared max is flailing and he just happens to get off a shot because in the bouncing of the train and whatever it happens but i always remember thinking that to your point amy consistency wise i was like if this movie was truly consistent vincent shoots him in like one second on that train and then gets off and max is the guy sitting on the train but i think they were like no we can't do that it's too bleak this movie would be so bleak if that happened
0: yeah that 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 would be so bleak but i also think like it's like the difference between chaos and order and like chaos wins out in that moment yes and I do like I really like this idea this thought experiment that you've brought up Amy of like being like okay there's the Stuart Beattie script there's the Michael Mann of it all and then there's the Tom Cruise of it all to create this character that's like I think really fascinating but also like you could say like he's like inconsistent or underwritten or whatever and um But yeah, it's like because you have the professionalism from Michael Mann and the like obsessiveness and the two, the Tom Cruise and the Michael Mann of the like uber preparedness (laughs) duo that is coming together. I think that's why I love this movie because I'm just like two professionals,
4: (laughs) (laughs) right? I mean, it's kind of like he's layering heat into this movie. Like this is like heat in motion. Like it's like once again, you have two guys. Passionate about their jobs. Jamie Fox is gonna have the cleanest cab in the town, and and, Mike, and Tom Cruise is gonna be like the greatest murderer the city has ever known. And what do you do when your job conflicts with the other guy? Like, you know, I can't have the cleanest cab if there's like dead bodies everywhere. And it's like <laughs> just two passionate workaholics mad at each other because they they can't coexist. And you know, figuring out where they get along and figuring out where they have to disagree. It's 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 heat in motion. I think in a lot yeah. of ways, but. Okay, oh well, let, let's start just the very, very first part. Tom Cruise's hair. Do you think that Vincent Collateral th- that's his natural <laughs> hair color because it extends to his eyebrows, his suit, his tie, his beard, kind of, his, scrub. his beard. Yeah, <laughs> scrub. Yeah, he's kind of like a superhero. He's like he's like you would almost imagine he's like named Magneto or something like that because he's that's so Vincent
3: Collateral. You nailed it. I mean. You know, Vincent it. Collateral, <laughs> the superhero. And
4: you know, to like it, and I love that Michael Mann is like he's so silver. That he's gonna get into a cab and the cab is gonna have an advertisement for Bacardi Silver. You have not done this. <laughs> How silver this man is! Like, is it a disguise? That's I. I know that's crazy, but like, what's happening? His face is so young to be so gray. An Anderson yeah. Cooper? But you know what? I have dated <laughs> yeah, guys young. Who've St- gone young
3: Steve Martin. Silver young very Martin. <laughs> early. Yes. Yeah. No. The 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 silver. I I don't know. I kind of. Maybe it's because he's so devilishly attractive. I was, always like, like the hair's, the hair has its questionable moments. We, that's undeniable. But the silver in the in the scruff, I was always like, man, like Tom Cruise is attractive. Thoughts, anyone? <laughs> like you know, maybe really like...
0: he had <laughs> such a traumatic childhood that he mm. went gray early. Mm. And that's what we're supposed to take i mean from vincent it, collateral this is and the, the huge night. book of background that justin lieberman had to write about him
3: <laughs> no the, the um the this is only one night so maybe that when we're talking about the gray the stress you know that if it's just one night you know speaking of someone in their late 30s who's whose gray is slowly stamping its authority on every part of the hair on my body is like it's like it it's time it's time you've had you've had this huge life where you've lived and you've had good times but now it's it's coming back to bite you and i feel like if this is every night or one night in a week could be this and then he has to go to another city and do the same thing i think he must be getting pretty stressed
1: he's leading
0: a stressful lifestyle (laughs) He, but you're right. Like, he does have a superhero quality, and un, an inhuman quality. Like, it's... He does... Like, I, I, I did a podcast with the um, Cows in the Field guys, and, like, we talked a lot about, about this movie, and, like, we talked a lot about, like, I think he kind of becomes a wild animal at the end. He becomes a shark. He's, like, a Terminator. Like, he's... He's a coyote at one he's point. He's a coyote. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't have he's human but he like kind of has like a magical mystical creature quality to him as well and there's something about his monochromatic look that adds to that
4: yeah and i think there's something in his relationship with jamie fox so i i will say like this is a great jamie fox performance oh, so like, good. this is yeah. one of my favorites he is so human yeah and like so relatable and so natural and so kind of like fumbling and sweet and temperamental and all sorts of things nervous whatever not in like a caricature way not in like a I love this actor but like a jesse eisenberg kind of way he's not doing that like he's a relatable dork which i feel like a lot of people don't pull off i think they go too dork you know and so him being so human i think just highlights how weirdly from outer space vincent collateral is from the beginning
3: (laughs) um i love that moment where he's like now tell him to shove this cab this yellow cab up his ass and you just watch (laughs) the pure dorkiness of like he's attached to a steering wheel and he's like stick stick the cab up up your ass like I just like he he just he's so perfect note perfect and there's that beautiful chemistry that he has with Jada Pinkett's character Annie which is so organic and it's like this one moment in his whole life that he's been able to be cool and he's pulled it off and even he almost there's that great note at the end of that scene where he can't even believe how cool he's been he's like oh that went so well and then she knocks on the window he's like oh like he freaks out that she knocks on the window to give him her card no he's he's terrific in this movie there's 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 the dorkiness of it all and then there's that wonderful scene towards the end of the film where he has to pretend to be Vincent and that he just absolutely (laughs) he does that wonderful scene where he just like he he cosplays him or like starts spouting off all the nonsense that he's been hearing in this cab for two hours um or six hours or however many hours it's been um, I just, I yeah, I think I think it's a truly great one from him, and it's the same year, right? He was nominated as a best supporting actor in Collateral the same year that he won best actor for Ray, so it's yeah. a pretty amazing purple patch for him as an actor.
0: Jamie Fox is like one of the greatest actors of all time. He's so good, and I think we don't talk about him enough. <laughs> as like one of the greats, and I think him so beautifully pulling off a dork, one of the most cool. People on the planet yeah. is like such an insane <laughs> feat, and I do think I love the sort of like ends and tails of his uh, interactions with Jada Pinkett because you can see him kind of nervous or then like kind of like processing it at the end. So yeah, that um, that performance is so great. I always love like thinking of these two as like they're both the two sides of the same coin, which is like the professionalism. You know guy gonna get the job done archetype but like uh max is an empath and tom and vincent collateral is a psychopath and it's it's like what's the dynamic the like sort of toxic dynamic between a psychopath and an empath in this movie driving around la
4: mm. oh i like that point i like that point
0: because like and there I- is like they're drawn together like magnets like he, like i always am like why doesn't max just leave but he like for some reason his like professionalism and his like desire to help people like makes him stay in the cab
4: that's fair and i wonder if there's something about him that tom cruise kind of picks up on immediately too and he's like this is a character i can boss around like i can have mm. my way with this he's not like just some checked out like no i gotta get home blah blah, blah. like he like has he tries to empathetically explain why he can't like drive his cab around as like the romantic music is soaring in the background. It's mm-hmm. like, I love the, I love how that score there is just like, it's almost like classical seduction film as he's like, <laughs> be my chauffeur, be my chauffeur. Yes. But it's like an illustration of how like, if you don't want to do something, don't explain why. Because, like, as soon as you explain, the other person's going to figure out how they can work around it. Like, oh, what about $600? Exactly.
0: (laughs) And he, like, pick And he's, you know, asked all these sort of leading
4: questions, like,
0: oh, do you get benefits? How much do you make? Like, that kind of thing. So he, like, has all those, like, tools in his arsenal in order to, like, convince him to do it.
4: It's true. And there is an element of this movie that I think is all about, you know, performance and convincing and, like, putting on a show. Like, I think about our introduction to Mark Ruffalo's character, you know, he's like barging into that guy's house and he seems like he's probably in disguise as like an undercover agent or something, but he's like yelling cabron in the silliest voice. And, and, and I was like, uh, for, I forgot like it had been a minute since it's in this movie and I was like oh god is this what Mark Ruffalo does the whole movie and they cast him as a cabrone guy what's happening and then I was like right he calls the station immediately he changes voices he's like a big dork oh it's me I'm here there's a broken window you know I was like oh thank god are not going full like cabron with this character <laughs> not going full like ethnically ambiguous <laughs>
0: yeah
4: I
3: have to have I have to have a look it's um he's it's it's Detective Fanning, but I think in a world can we say here now in a world with the Tom Cruise expert with us, Amy Nicholson, I think I'm gonna dub Mark ruffalo's character Cabrone fanning from now on because i think that <laughs> i think that if we can call him vincent Vincent collateral <laughs> i'm gonna call him Cabrone fanning because cabron. i'd love it it grated my ears so much last night when i watched him say that i was like ow i was like i'm not even i'm not even from la i don't speak spanish i was like jesus mark you did like no. a thousand takes as dave tosky in your own accent and you couldn't get covered like you couldn't even roll an r
4: come on man well then let me ask you guys this as the michael mann experts mm. a line delivery like that is it michael mann cluing us in that this guy is not a legitimate cabron <laughs> or or is it just mark ruffalo says it weird
3: the, the, there is some really and thank you so much like and, and amy i know that you've got with the unspooled fans that you guys talk to and and with your shows We are so grateful for everything that we do over at One Hit Minute Productions and Miami Nice particularly. We just got a bunch of fans who are great. And one of our fans clued us onto a whole bunch of stuff where Val Kilmer was almost this character. Oh, wow. Was like in talks to play Detective Fanning and the Bruce McGill character in the movie was actually Dennis Farina. So it was going to be this really incredible I guess, collective of past Michael Mann people playing both for and against type. And Kilmer was, this was meant to be a Top Gun reunion of sorts. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what scheduling something happened, but one thing that you can say way more about Val Kilmer than obviously Ruffalo is like, he's a SoCal guy. Like he he could come in, I mean, and obviously a, a an incredible accent worker has done many weird and wonderful accents throughout his career. And so I just feel like if the, because it was maybe the Stuart Beatty script was originally New York, they had maybe a more of a Ruffalo, kind of like East coast archetype. And then they're like, no, we're going to update everything as it comes over. This might be a cool, like little top gun nod to each other, two people working past a SoCal detective. And then it just didn't work out. So what I think is kind of, I think that that's almost like a hangover if you like of going uh, we had had a socal guy who could play a detective and now we've got to go with like an east coast guy because that's where we're going and and they sort of they have to do everything they give him that like slick back hair and the goatee to kind of make him of this area but he's so east coast in a way that it almost doesn't it doesn't seem to capture that but you know and again then he's dave tosky and the absolutely wonderful zodiac as well so he does such a great job there where he's just adopting that accent but yeah that's where I think that it might be this weird hangover there of a previous actor being firmly in the role and then going okay well now that's not going to work so you've kind of got to dance around the new actor and I imagine he would have done a million takes he would have done but not quite Fincher (laughs) takes but he would have done takes and I think he would have just gone it's not important he's from out of town. I guarantee you there's a backstory. <laughs> I guarantee you there's a backstory where he's from out of town and he is like struggling to get the language. Mm. And that's the whole point. Like I I think the question I have now when you ask that is like, oh, maybe he is from, maybe he is the from Bay like, Area. the Bay Area and he's back down, you know, and he's having that conversation.
0: It might be like, yeah, just like, a, oh, this guy is clearly a cop kind of thing. Um, I have to say, I really like... Mark Ruffalo in this role, though, because I think yeah, he, he brings a sweetness that I don't think Kelmer would have brought this the sweetness that he brings. And I think you kind of need that as like he's kind of this person that you're just like, oh, my God, he's the only one who can save Max from this situation. And then when he dies, you're like, oh, my God, no. So I don't know. I, I, I like Ruffalo. I also just think he's really cute in this. <laughs> It, Aren't you expecting biased. him
4: to come back to life somehow? That I'm like, yes. oh, he just clipped him. He just winged him, right? Like, he can't be gone. He can't be gone. I know.
0: I know. It's so, it's devastating.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. He's, he's, and also we can't forget the great cameo from Pete Berg, who looks like he just, didn't care that day when he turned up on this movie. Like, he just rolls in and he's another, like, apathetic, like, who cares? Like, he's dead or whatever. Like, he just, on ongoing, the whole way is like, I don't care. That's where I think that Ruffalo shines is, like, fanning. But to your point, and you would know this because you've written so beautifully about Top Gun, I find Val Kilmer maybe is, like, that little bit too formidable. Like, you feel like, uh, and I imagine then casting Kilmer and then him getting killed would have been even more devastating because you're like oh he can get him and there's like a brief second where you feel like Fanning can get Vincent but then when he clips him you're like oh no of course of course he's gonna die because Vincent is a psychopath and he's a murderer and you know he's this is what he I do this for a living like he just does it you know that's his whole thing
4: yeah it's almost like Ruffalo has more of like a, a spiritual bond. I guess I'm I'm thinking in the heat world, you know, like the spiritual bonds between characters with with Jamie Foxx. They're like similar-ish personality types. Yes. yes. You know, like Jamie Foxx, you know, runs on like I don't know, kindness, I suppose, a little bit of kindness. At least he's like he's he's generous, you know, the way that he like offers to give Jada her ride free if he's wrong on traffic, you know, something like that. And Ruffalo he really seems to kind of get into the heart of people just by his like deduction that there's no way the cab driver is the one doing this murder. Like he's the one who's kind of led by his heart in the police station of like, I know people. I don't think this is that kind of person. Yes. And so there's squishier guys. There's softer guys in a way that, that I guess the predator coyote shark (laughs) (laughs) nonsense character who's like, you got to buy flowers to meet your mom. (laughs) Right. But Like, which I, I think that's kind of funny because I think there is a way of reading this movie where it just plays out like a date, like this extended bad date gone wrong. <laughs> like we go to the club, we go on this date. Oh, come meet my mother. Like, you know. <laughs> it's
0: uh, it's Date Night starring Tina Fey and Steve Carell. <laughs> <laughs> I <Kind> of, yeah. <laughs> What's
2: funny
3: to me is that like, that Cabrone Fanning and Vincent Collateral are two very different LA dates. And I think both of you maybe have had them. <laughs> One guy is like, one guy is the Vince collateral and, 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 and I know Katie and she's like got a fan for <laughs> dirt bags. She's like, oh, just dreaming of the cabrone fanning dirt bag going. Oh, oh
0: absolutely. I've got to get away from this. With cabrone
1: fanning.
0: <laughs> 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 All day, baby. <laughs>
3: don't you know, take, don't, she's... don't mansplain jazz. It's a collateral. I want to go on a date with Cabrone Fanning. Absolutely.
4: You really like if you totally. just met them both cold, you'd pick Cabrone Fanning over Vincent Collateral, who's like, you know, curious about you asking questions, putting on a good show. Um <laughs> Well,
3: Amy, you know the answer to this. Why did you ask that? You're a friend. I'm looking at I your like eyes. Cuz I like to
0: put my friend. <laughs> no, I'm on like actually call. good taking this like very deeply, which is like <laughs> Um, I had an ex boyfriend who went silver early. He had like full gray hair and he was also a psychopath. So I can't say. <laughs> I can't say. I can't say what I would or wouldn't do because I've made
4: some bad choices in the past.
3: <laughs> this isn't our first cab ride are decision. we getting
4: your taxi cab confession right this now? this is the taxi cab confession
3: oh my god this is the greatest um. episode we've almost ever done I'm so happy
0: at this point in my life in I'm going for the cabrones. okay yeah.
3: she was once a Vincent collateral gal yeah now she's no I've I've
0: tangled I've danced in the dark in the pale moonlight with the Vincent collaterals oh. I'm not going back there anymore oh. no more
3: I want to ask you because you obviously did a tremendous amount of research and you're a scholar on Tom Cruise this is the one film especially Michael Mann's uh oeuvre and you know I, I there's sort of something endlessly consumable about the Chris McQuarrie stories about working with Tom recently, you know, whether it's with our great friends at Light the Fuse or whether it's on the Empire podcast, you hear him talking about Tom and his like knowledge of movies and passionate about being a filmmaker. This is the one movie that like we, we are kind of mining with our great connected people. Like Katie mentioned Justin Lieberman before, who was an assistant at Forward Pass when they were making this movie and was on set and helping find locations and, And this is the thing that fascinates me is like Michael Mann in his career, he seems to have like certain individuals that come on that are so his guys. And then there's these other people. He seems to be a bit like, I would call him a method director, which is that he kind of imposes like, not like in the traditional sort of Stanislavski sense, but he's like, you will be prepared. I'm going to give you a dossier about this character. I'm going to put you in contact with real people. And I'm going to give you the best opportunity to be prepared enough to consume all that. Don't expect that you walk around as this guy. don't expect you to do this, but I expect that you are so prepared that all of that preparation is not needed to be mentioned. It is immediately conveyed in what we're doing um, on screen. And so that's the thing that fascinates me about this film outside of the performative aspect of it. It's just, I I would just love to be in a film production, a pre-production meeting with these guys. I would love to be a fly on the wall to watch how they are so attuned to like obsessively going through and making sure that every single detail is conveyed on the screen and the clean, the clarity of the storytelling or these little vignettes that we gather in one night. I just, I, I wonder if you've ever found that fascinating or when you were doing your research, like thinking about him with these, Katie calls them legends only, um, the legends only in Tom Cruise's career. Like, I wonder if you think about like who he would been the most fun with um, being directed by.
4: Yeah, no, totally. I mean. What I think about when I think about this particular stretch of Cruise's career, like the late, the mid, the mid 2000s to the late 2000s, is it's the end of, to me, my favorite period of Cruise, where he, his guiding light is, I only want to work with interesting new directors who challenge me. Because like yes. up until this point, 2004, this is really the end of it. He, From 1982 to, ni- to 2004, He's only repeated directors in his career twice i think he did two films with tony scott he did top gun and he did um he did days, days of thunder, thunder which is awful and then i think he did vanilla sky right before this so it, so it was like jerry Maguire and vanilla sky but his driving ethos was like new 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 collaborations who can teach me more i'm gonna go and live you know live in england for two years and work with stanley kubrick like I want to challenge myself and like figure out all these new ranges of my personality, you know, based on what other directors show me that I can do. Um, And he was amazing about that. And the stories that I love are like, you know, young directors who've had one or two films, maybe come out at Sundance, getting cold called from, from Cruz who would do a thing. He'd like cold call a a young filmmaker and say, I want to work with you. Write me a part. It's how he winds up in Magnolia. You know, he cold calls uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, and he's like, I want to work with you, write me a part. And I have some friends who have gotten that call. And they're like, it's crazy. You go over to his house, you look at his video library, you watch movies with him. And then, like, one of my friends, is like, I went home and he called me the next day. Like, come back over. You know, And they haven't worked together yet. But it's, like, I think in part because, you know, around 2005 and six, he, like, shuts the door on that. And he's, like... I only want to do what works. I only want to like get the audience to love me again. I'm very nervous about taking risks in my career. I almost lost it all, you know, because like 2005 is, of course, like the Oprah year. Mm. And he like settles into the Macquarie period of his life and they've made some good films and they're fine and I've liked them all individually. But I also feel a loss in like the creative crews who was like, well, what does Michael Mann have to offer me? yeah I'll see great. I'll go a, all
3: in Joe, Joe Carnahan makes NARC which is his second fit so the first I don't even know if he can get his first feature but he's his second feature which is an outlandishly great second feature and he gives him Mission Impossible 3 for a long time to develop before it goes to JJ so there's you know imagining being a Sundance darling <laughs> that gets a wider Paramount distribution deal and gets Cruz Wagner on board to help, like, get it out there because obviously it was critically lauded and Ray's performance is amazing. Jason Patrick, terrific. But, like, here's the reins of a multi million dollar franchise, a hundred million dollar franchise. Go for it. You've made one movie, you showed some real great texture and clarity, and let's see what you can do. But that Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson story you told uh, that you, you tell. And Paul Thomas Anderson elaborated that like he went over to his house and his theater and had the lights done a certain way and just started performing as this guy on a Mm -hmm. stage in his own house. And I'm like, what a wonderful, like, what a, what a amazing guy that you could just go to his house. And he's like, I figured out a performance. Here's how you should light it and just be lit and performing (laughs) on a stage for one guy in a room. I just, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's pretty incredible. But also I do think we have been spoiled. Like ridiculously, Scorsese, Coppola, <laughs> Spielberg a couple of times, um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Kubrick, like you name it, you name you it, You guy's done it. Sonnet.
4: But I love what? that you're pulling out the Mission Impossible franchise, because I think that's such a clear example of what happened, because that's the franchise where, you know, he's had the power, it was his idea to do it, He's, it was the first thing he put his weight behind as a producer. It's the first action movie he ever did was Mission Impossible because before then he doesn't really throw the punch in anything. He runs a lot in the firm, but it's not an action movie at all in the way that like Mission Impossible is. Mm-hmm. And when he has the reins of power and he can choose his own director, he brings back De Palma. You know, nobody wanted him to get De Palma. and He like selects De Palma. He's like, this John Woo guy is interesting. Let's bring him over <laughs> and do this, which is a terrible Mission Impossible. It's my <laughs> least favorite, but you know, he did that. Yeah, he gives the shot to you know um oh my gosh why am i blanking on the director of three Three is like my second favorite possible to, yeah to yeah jj yeah yeah
3: it's jj Aaron yeah
4: four. jj oh right i'm thinking of i was getting confused with four, four brad bird with brad bird his i was first like he takes live yeah, action feature Yeah. first live action feature like the gambles he's taking are just amazing and then it's like McCoryville. and how are we not supposed to think that that's even a waste of like letting new directors rise up you know like Tom Cruise, I think, I think I'm think i hard on him because he alone has the power to shape Hollywood, which he's proven, you know, at yes. least with like Top Gun 2 and you're keeping theaters alive. He's proven that. And not that like you got to always do more, but he's like the one person who really could. And yes. I would I would mm-hmm. love that. I would love for him to feel confident enough to start taking those risks again
3: yeah you sort of did though with uh, Oblivion right like Oblivion was a pretty like that's in the contemporary sense like Oblivion with Kaczynski because Kaczynski what had Kaczynski done before Oblivion he really done Tron I think yeah. uh, did he do Tron I thought it maybe. Yeah. oh yeah okay cool sorry I'm getting those back to front I thought he did Oblivion and then he got Tron and then he moved on but oh. uh, um but no yeah like that I always thought that with Kaczynski too I'm like man like to go from big CGI you know jeff bridges legacy legacy sequel god damn it these stupid words that start sticking <laughs> in your brain uh yeah it's it's really interesting sorry katie go ahead you were gonna say something well i was
0: just gonna sort of like reiterate like do we think that the reason why he goes into like safe territory is because of the couch jump and that scandal i mean it's insane that that was like when we think about it now it's like why was that such a scandal
4: <laughs> I know I I really do because like to like the big word was he had ruined his career when that happened. You know he even gets kicked off of the Paramount a lot like where he had been forever over that Crazy. because Paramount is like you're costing us money, you're making us look bad. And I will scream this to the heavens. It's all madness and made up because like you know the couch dump happens 2 months before War of the World comes out. He's in the promo tour for War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds is like his biggest opening to date. Like the Couch Jump did not hurt ticket sales for that at all, but the buzz was that it had. Like that the the buzz just didn't match up with the numbers. And then everybody was like Mission Impossible 3 was a disappointment. That was his next movie, but it honestly wasn't. It made like tons of money as well. It made it's a just, they had money. like Yeah, they just had been predicting even more for absolutely no reason than any than any of the Mission Impossible's had even made. So they could like say it was a disappointment. it, it was just like weird psychology and so like he gets kicked off because of buzz not because of his actual performing not because of his actual like box office draw the audience has never left him but i think since then what you see in his films is just like he sticks to franchises only he really just does like action films spectacular films i feel like he's chasing some sort of I am the number one worldwide box office star again. Like, I don- and it's like, I-, I almost feel like if he doesn't get that, he's never going to stop. Like, he has to prove that he did not die. And, like, he, it's impossible because, like superhero films are really the only things getting number one you need like nine stars you need the entire fast and furious franchise like it's very rare for any one actor to be able to do that the way that he used to do consistently in like the 80s and 90s they proved it now
3: though amy they proved it now because top gun maverick in 2022 is the highest grossing movie of the year and it's making money hand over fist on the video on demand release and if you're in tom cruise nut like i know that probably collective three of us are like I've already seen, I saw the movie three times. I took multiple groups of friends to go see Maverick. Everyone loved it. I bought it on VOD. I've pre-ordered my Blu-ray. I'm like, (laughs) like we I'm, I'm all in. And I, and I, I, I'm as much as folks, you know, I do, I have a slightly different opinion to you is that I'm so grateful of Tom Cruise's, any kind of Tom Cruise. Like one day I could be like driving my car and I'm like, God, I want to watch color of money again. Like, I just, like, I just, it can't, like, a random something will come into my head. I'm like, oh my God, like, how good would it be to just, you know, h- how good would it be to just go back and, like, watch him with any of those great directors he's ever worked with? Oh, I'm in a real eyes wide shut mood. I want to see him be, like, completely off the off the wall in this movie. And I want to see Nicole, like, and how they play together. I'm so excited. But I love all of the missions now because for, for what they're trying to do, I don't think anyone's doing it like them. I think all of the, there's such a glib... I don't know, like a, like a glib, like self-effacing, like, oh, we're, we're only making a billion dollars and all these things. We've got to make dumb jokes. And I'm like, no, like I'm, I'm here. I'm down for your sincerity. I'm down for you sincerely making something and caring about the storytelling and making it clear and, and, and wide. It's not, it's not going to touch everyone like some of his other performances, but imagine if we didn't have that. Like, that's the thing that Cruz has that other actors don't is that in their back catalog, there's Paul Thomas Anderson and in the back catalog is Michael Mann in the back catalog is Stanley Kubrick and Coppola and Scorsese and two Spielbergs, you know, like it's, it's, that's where I get so excited. Cause I'm like, no other actor can say that. Like we can't, no one is like an untouchable resume.
0: I, oh, so I, my only criticism of Tom Cruise's resume, Tom Cruise's uh, resume is that he's never worked with a female director. No, never. And yeah. I was actually thinking about this last night. Like if he, like, what is the female director that I would wanna see him be directed by? And it's Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, I was just gonna say. And not just because she does action, but her observation of masculinity is so keen and um, really incisive. And I just think that would be such a fascinating pair up. But I don't know if they would ever, at this point in their careers, find the project that would actually lead to something you know that interesting and fruitful because I don't I don't know what she's up to right now and obviously he's kind of like I'm doing this like heroic action thing and so I don't know but damn I wish they could have done something
4: (laughs) I know you're right it's like a huge because he got boring right when we started boring in his choices of directors not boring in his films yeah because I agree to your point like of the big blockbusters that exist, he is continuing to make the best ones. But he did close his circle right when we really yeah. made a push towards, like, you know, having a range of directors. And he hasn't worked with the female director. And I've always wanted to work with, like, Angley, you know, like, that's kind yes. of my dream. But, um, or Quentin Tarantino, but that's just another boy dude. But, like, I would love to see what they would do together. But, but yeah, like, what I am hoping is that you are exactly right, Blake, and that the success of Top Gun 2 will scratch that itch and and then maybe he can go back to trying to get an oscar again because like i really liked <laughs> those years those we had like 15 straight years of him chasing an oscar and then he gave up completely completely put it down didn't try it again and i would like to see that cuz i he wants to be this generation's paul newman and like i want him to earn that oscar i don't want to just give him an honorary like no. i want him to get it you know
3: it's it feels like it feels like he's in the last stretch of and for him because this is the f- cool thing about brad bird coming to live action he's like oh we'll use special effects to augment and we'll animate this and we'll only have you on a, like a sound stage for this and like our, uh, there's great stories about him behind the scenes again from our boys at Light the fuse where tom goes no that's me it's not an animation that's me and I feel like he's only got a few more years where it can be him like doing this absolute insanity. And then we get, you know, we get the nobody's fool Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know, like that that Newman era, the verdict, like we get him doing some of those, like it's no longer an action movie. It's just him being a outlandishly talented actor doing something small and using his charisma to just set fire to a whole bunch of great character actors that are around him. And I feel like there's a few of those in there. If we get lucky, we can touch, you know, we we just, you know, he's actually the evergreen guy. Like it's probably going to take him until he's like 93 before he looks 70, you know, like it's just (laughs) not even going to make sense. Um, but, but, you know, I think that I especially felt such a kinship when I was watching Top Gun Maverick, I'm like, well, they were watching Top Gun Maverick. And while they are making that movie, someone was watching The Color of Money a lot.
4: That's exactly what I think. I think Top Gun Maverick is his color of money. It is. Big time. Big
3: time. Yeah.
4: It's him being like, let me usher in another generation. Yes. Uh, Let me please, please pay more attention to Glenn Powell, who I really wish had just been cast as, like, as as Goose's kid. I wish, like, they'd slip those roles. Like, I just think Glenn Powell would make a more convincing, I came from... Goose's loins, <laughs> and, Goose Loin. and, and
3: Goose and Goose yeah. and McR- Ryan's loins. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah,
4: Glenn Powell is the kid from that relationship. It that's not Miles that's what I thought originally
0: when I knew Glenn Powell was in this movie. I was like, oh, he's gonna play Goose's kid, and nah, no. Mm-hmm. but But I love Glenn Powell too and I think he should have been Han Solo in solo and I will die on that hill
3: oh he I mean yeah he's he's got the charm but we're also getting Instagram shots of these guys wearing cowboy hats together in denim I mean how can we say that it's a bad thing when the Miles Miles Teller and Glenn Powell are taking Instagram shots together (laughs) I
0: loved Miles Teller in Top Gun Maverick and I know not everybody loves Miles Teller but the the kid has got some charm on him so uh he worked for me as Goose he yeah. he made it work
3: <laughs> yeah he, they're both they're both terrific but it's yeah no it's it's really interesting and that's what I think Glenn Powell's so great at when we go back to Glenn Powell is I've been thinking about you know heat and heat too and I'm like Glenn Powell did this amazing thing where he kind of fused t- uh he fused Maverick and Iceman together he kind of yeah, like he was he playing a Maverick who's a dick but he's also really goddamn like val kilmer cheekbones pretty like he's really pretty so he kind of got that and i was just like maybe if we've got a young val kilmer part in the new heat too i i know a guy and maybe it's glenn powell i'm starting to think <laughs> that the young val kilmer might have some glenn powell because he's already kind of played a val kilmery role in maverick yeah, it's like give yeah, this guy a has... michael mann role for god's sake that's
4: actually great casting like I, I finished the heat Two book and i, I like which, as i'm sure you guys have too and like i could really see that did you like the heat Two book
3: oh amy we're gonna open a can of worms here all right all right all right all
4: okay, right okay i have
0: to confess i have not started it yet because i'm literally watching i'm like i have a whole night i have a heat night tonight i wanted to rewatch heat Get in the zone and then start the book. So I'm I'm having my heat night tonight. Totally. <laughs> and fair. then I wanted to like be in the mental, like I've been treating it like this sort of like ritual, like, and then I will enter the heat zone. I didn't just want to start it willy-nilly. So oh. um me and my friend are watching heat tonight. And um and I'd love to hear it. Obviously, I've I've seen it a bunch of times, but I wanted to like go to church because watching heat is like going to church for me. <laughs> and even though I always say collateral is my favorite Michael Mann movie, it's like it's heat, and then it's all the other ones. Like yeah. heat is obviously the top, and then it's of all the other ones. What is your favorite? And I always say it's collateral. Um, so but
3: I've, so I've read yeah. the book, Amy. I've read it twice. I've we're, we're preparing. You guys to can a, discuss we're, we're, it. We're, we're, we're ha- oh no! It's we're, no, we're about to have a little book club on it on the show, so I won't spoil too much. I will say, um, when I was reading it, there are some sections. I feel like the beginning section and the end are amazing and i think they do some great stuff and in the middle what i kept feeling and this is a very michael mann thing is i kept feeling that they had to say so much because you're reading you're, you're consuming it as a novel but in my head especially the second reading i felt like it's so much of it could just be peeled away when you're thinking about it as like this is a this if this was a movie script none of the what's on the page would be on the screen because i don't need to say anything They don't need to contextualize anything. It can just be moody and tone pomy and like, you know, exactly like a Miami Vice. It's like these just moments you flash to a location, you get the sense of a space. There's chaos of people moving around. Like imagine if you were reading the script for say Miami Vice and there's this great scene where Archangel de Jesus Montoya is driving in his car in uh, Ciudad del Este, he's driving in his car and along the streets are lined with all that polystyrene foam. Now in the book, they have to write. Someone's in the car, it's Sierra De Leste, It's at night, it's they're driving down the street. This is what the streets look and feel like. But for two seconds and, and it's almost imperceptible until the car stops. You're just seeing that out the windows. It's just the indie it's in the tapestry of what it is. And I think that that's a couple of times in the book, I felt like, you know, those bits I was like, oh my God, I, w- I wish this was just a visual piece of storytelling. Um, but I must say, um, as a heat fan i wasn't disappointed i especially wasn't disappointed with the ending i was i was like please stick the landing please stick the landing and for me it did so i was very happy
4: i have a question that i'm kind of scared to ask you guys okay go. um am i even allowed to say i like michael mann if i say that my favorite michael mann film is last of the mohicans of course no you're
3: among friends
4: okay because like, did a whole podcast about Mohicans
3: we did Mohicans too because I think it's genuinely people. I used to hear Amy around heat everyone kept going to the crime stuff thieves are the best and obviously it's great and Manhunter's the best I'm like yeah oh, great but if if you had to ask me which man movie I've literally watched the most it's probably after heat because heat I'm clinically <laughs> unwell but um but mohicans is the other movie i've naturally watched the most in my life oh really i love it i love it it is such a beautiful romantic
4: outlier so i was nervous
3: no it's amazing it's like spellbound we did a mini series on the last 12 minutes because i think it's the best almost the best ending to any movie ever made
4: i a thousand percent agree yeah Yeah. that that last 12 minutes the music the score the i we we got into this a little bit um my co-host paul and i when you're talking about heat recently as I was. Don't hate me, I was a little bit complaining about the romantic relationships in Heat, and I was like, I don't need a lot of dialogue in a Michael Mann movie to make me feel a romantic relationship because the connection between Alice and Uncas in in, in Last of the Mohicans, barely any words together, and yet that relationship at me. And if you go to like YouTube, there's a there's a million people who feel the same way. There's all these fan videos of like their relationship and the cliff and West Duty on top of the cliff being evil. And I don't know why I'm talking like I shouldn't give spoilers. West Studi <laughs> pushes on the cliff. We know this.
1: <laughs> but like,
4: but it is, it is, it's painful to watch and it makes me cry every single time. Oh, and I'm like, he hit that relationship out of the park. Yes. He he does I think he's he gets he's good with
0: adult romantic relationships and i will make that argument like every time but i love Bohicans. I, I think that's probably the first michael mann mi- fil- film i ever saw me too and was completely blown away as like a 12 year old or something um by it and yeah I, lo- I love it
3: it was always that weird thing because i remember dances with wolves i know a lot of people like might not remember this but Dance with Wolves had the massive cultural footprint and it happened and i remember seeing Dances with wolves and you know as a kid it's like super long and you kind of like don't get it and i remember then maybe it was because of the popularity of that like mohicans came into you know our house and came on a vhs or something we hired out from the video store and i remember hiring it like multiple times to- because that was the movie i'm like this is forget i don't want to watch three hours or what three and a half hours of Dance with... i want to watch this this is like fighting and romance and it's it's i don't know like the wartime and cannon fire and it's just it's got everything as, as far as that but it's just the that you know it's it's a movie that i've enjoyed for many years and i i that that one scene where uncas steps into frame when oh. he's watching alice and it's a gif now like you can just get it you meme it to each other on twitter <laughs> i i all that's like, I usually actually use that meme when someone starts talking about heat and I'm not included. I just did. That. <laughs> <laughs> gets yes. into <laughs> I'm like, here I am guys. No, but I truly, Amy, that's not a bad take. I l- love it. And any of the real man heads out there, Manola Dargis is of the world, the Bilgers of the world. I mean, Roxana Haddadi, who's another huge friend of that, uh, our show and things like that, like all of the people who I um, really respect all talk about like Mohicans if you don't count that up there like the kids who think black hat's the best for God's sake guys have a rest okay I'm just like this is yeah it's 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 a complete masterpiece and my my best friend um Maria Lewis is an author and a screenwriter and um she often will say stuff like her experience of watching man movies she says is three thousand years of longing for the credits because she just hates how long everything is <laughs> and uh but but uh, i think mohicans gets her she's she's happy with mohicans as well like again it's sub
0: two hours baby two hours it's lean <laughs>
3: mean just, and that last 12 that last 12 minutes is a film clip it's the greatest film clip of all time as far as i'm concerned it's amazing
4: it really is. Not to write out my boyfriend, but that's the one Mohique, That that's the one Michael Mann film he hasn't seen, and I'm always just like aghast. And we have never had that moment where I'm like, today we are watching Mohicans, and I keep threatening it because I'm like, you 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 just you like all the concrete ones, you like all the neon ones. You need to go to this one, man. You need to, this is the one that almost made me want to go to like North Carolina for college because as a little kid I'm like, <laughs> it's so beautiful. I just <laughs> yeah. want to live there, like. I went to a weird high school where, like, we didn't have a class schedule so much. And so we would just, like, duck into a room in the library and watch the VHS of Mohicans, like, over and over and
3: over yeah. Great.
0: That's amazing. It is just, like,
4: part of my – it is part of my body. Yeah, yes. So. Yeah. And, oh, but you, can tell,
3: you can tell your boyfriend, listen, the coolest thing ever is that he had one of Stanley Kubrick's cinematographers on there originally. So at the beginning of the movie, some of those glacial portraits and stuff, it's that. But – that was a film that had a lot of tumultuous behind the scenes stuff. And Dante Spinotti, who was on another film, was brought in to do it. So it's his guy. It's like Dante who did, you know, who eventually did Man, who did Manhunter rather, and then did Heat and did The Insider, like it's his movie too. So, you know, it's another reason to watch it. And it's like Daniel Day-Lewis, it's one of the guys, like one of the boys in there, it's, it's great. Yeah, I love Mohican so much
0: maybe Aww. this weekend you guys will watch Mohicans
4: yeah you and can say look, listen, if we get stuck if we get stuck
3: home babe if we get stuck <laughs> home this weekend <laughs> it's Mohicans
4: he's one with the central air conditioner so yeah I could do <laughs> that <laughs> we'll look you guys at- are watching me getting glowier and glowier <laughs> as
3: well well to um to cool off uh I just want to say Amy, it's such an honor to talk to you. I know you and Katie are buddies, so she can't say any of this stuff, but I'm like legitimately a huge fan of yours. Your work is inspirational to me. And anyone who's listened to One Hit Minute evolve from what we've done into our miniseries and our docos and those sorts of things. And these, you know, um, things would know, would see the fingerprints and influences from your stuff on the great, Tarantino uh, uh, series you did for The Ringer and ho- uh, Halloween on Mars. So I, just, this is an honor. This is like, a, um, this is one of those things I really wanted to do. So it's a real treat. And Katie's like, oh, we're buddies. And I'm like, I'm a huge fan. We should do this. So I just want to say it's an honor to meet you and, and having you on here to definitively tell us that it is Vincent collateral and uh, Cabrone <laughs> Fanning has been one of the great treats uh, of our podcasts. Well,
4: I am officially dead now thank you, you can say it was <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> well thanks for doing this love you bud and uh having you on here is an honor and this has been great and just hearing all of your insights about cruise i could talk about him forever oh me too <laughs> i have we, will. we probably will spend the rest of our life talking about this I
4: man <laughs> <laughs> well i hope you I sincerely hope you find your uh, cabron fanning. Oh, thank
1: you. (laughs)